Acts chapter 5, Handelinge 5. Acts 5, uh, has anyone perhaps got an extra ESV? Uh, we can, alright, can you give to Martin, please? Martin, have you got a, an ESV with you? Okay, you can just give him an ESV, thanks. Right, Acts chapter 5. Acts 5, New Testament, Handelinge 5. And I'll be reading verse 1 to 11. And so, as I said this morning, I'm going to be preaching on lying. Lying. Leons. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, none of us can say before you tonight that we have never lied. Your word teaches us all men are liars. Your word teaches us God never lies. We praise you for your faithfulness. We know if eternal life hung in the balance and it had to be grounded on our faithfulness, all of us would be lost. All of us would be hopeless. All of us would be damned. But we thank you for Jesus, the faithful one. He who is faithful and true. And we pray, O oh faithful God, would you speak to us this evening from your word. Amen. A, a lady by the name of Anne Avery, she lived in the 1500s, and in 1575, she went into a shop, and as she left the shop, they said, you stole the stuff. And she said that she promises and she swears, if I stole this stuff, if I stole these items, may God strike me dead. And she dropped dead on the spot. Another story recorded by a church historian called Eusebius. Eusebius lived in uh, 300s after the birth of Christ, 300 AD. And he records a story about a certain man named Narcissus. Uh, or Narcissus, probably. Yeah, a narcissist. <laughs> Uh, but this, this man, he was a very godly Christian, a very devoted Christian. And three people in the church accused him of immorality, of living a very evil and scandalous life. And these three accusers said, the first accuser said, if I am lying, may I be burnt to death. The second man said, if I am lying about Narcissus, then may I be consumed by a wasting disease. And the third person, the, the third uh, man said that if, if I am lying, may I become blind. And it happened exactly so. The first man, he burned to death in his house, he and his whole family. The second man, a wasting disease consumed his body. He, was, he had this disease from head to toe. And the third man 
when he saw this happen, he came and he confessed that they had schemed, that they had thought up this lie against Narcissus, and they told the lie, they plotted together, and he wept so much, it is said, that from all the weeping and weeping and weeping, he lost his sight. So that tells you what God thinks about lies. And even in the passage before us, Acts chapter 5, it just underlines what God says and thinks about lies. So let's read the story in Acts 5, verse 1 to 11. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men arose, or the young men rose, and wrapped him up, and carried him out, and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So the division of this passage, and for the guys who are doing the preaching class, this is very easy. Two characters. Number one, Ananias. Number two, Sapphira. Okay, so number one, Ananias, verse one to six. So just to give you a bit of background, what's happening is uh, the church is growing very fast. Jesus has gone back to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit and the apostles, these are the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the church, they've been preaching the good news of salvation, how people can be saved and their sins can be forgiven, how they can have eternal life. And so the church now is growing uh, leaps and bounds, great strides. On one day, 3,000 people joined the church in Acts chapter 2. And then these Christians, they love one another so much, they're sharing their food with one another. They're selling their property in Jerusalem because Jesus said, uh, as a prediction of, in the future, a prophecy that Jerusalem will be destroyed. So why do you want a house if the city is going to be destroyed? So they sell their houses, they sell their property, they sell farms, uh, pieces of land, and they bring the, the money, and they say, well, we, we're not going to buy new houses in Jerusalem, so why not give the money and distribute it to the poor? And so they help the poor Christians, the poor believers, because there's so many Christians. 
Uh, in Acts chapter 4, the church grows even more. Now the numbers have grown to more than 5,000 families. You read that in Acts chapter 4, verse 4. And so now at the end of Acts 4, if you still have your Bible open, verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, that's an island, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is fantastic. You just see the love, the sharing, the caring, but. Did you see that in chapter 5, verse 1? The first word, but. Mar. That means contrast. Yes, something's, something's up. Trouble is coming. So here's this husband and wife. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. And they think, hey, this is really nice to be part of a church like this. People care for one another, love one another, they share. So let's do the same. Let's sell a piece of land. We're not going to use it. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Let's sell this piece of land. And then they sit around maybe their kitchen table, dining room table, and they've got, they concoct, they've, <laughs> they've got this plan, they're scheming. And so they say, let's take the, the money to the church. We'll take it to the leaders, the apostles, and we'll say it's everything. This is all the money we got. And so the reason they're bringing the money is not really because they care about the poor. The reason they're bringing the money is because they want to make a name for themselves. They want everyone to say, you're fantastic. Just look how one. They want people to applaud them and say, how wonderful. What wonderful Christians you are. You care for the poor. There's a name for that. Jesus has a name for that. Uh, there's a phrase for being something in front of other people, but at home you're not that same person. In your mind, in, in your thoughts, in your secret life, you're not that same person. What's that called in Afrikaans? Skynelech in English? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Hypocrite. Now, hypocrisy is a form of lying. Because you're acting to be someone you aren't really. You're not really that person. You just play acting. In 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, we read, Whoever says, I know God. But does not keep God's commandments, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. And that's what they said. They say, we're Christians, but they're not living like Christians. That's hypocrisy. I think another lesson we draw from, from just this first verse is, here's Ananias and Sapphira, where does this lie take place? In the church. You wouldn't have thought that, would you? You would have thought maybe in the world, maybe evil people. This is the church. So don't think liars don't hide in churches. We've had a couple of them. And we've had difficult situations to deal with in our own church. None of us sitting here tonight, or me standing here, none of us can say, I will never do that. None of us can say, I am immune. This will not happen in my case. All of us have the ability and the potential to tell terrible lies. And what we would maybe just think, oh, it's just a white lie, is that so serious? God, think it, God thinks it is. Uh, Psalm 116, verse 11. All men are liars. All people are liars. So we've all lied. And where does that start? What's one of the very first sins children do? Who broke this? It's the bird. It's the dog. 
I told you the story about a guy who's... Uh, we really felt compassion for this guy. He was a guy off the street and we loved him and, and cared for him. And uh, I told him, listen, I can't help you if you're going to spend your money on drink, on alcohol. And so one day, the guy spent his money on alcohol. I told him, if you come here drunk, then don't ask for help. So again, the guy came drunk, drunk. And then I saw a little plastic bag. It's called Dani Dop. 30% alcohol. I think they buy it at the cafe somewhere. Can you buy alcohol at the cafe? Maybe illegally. Anyway, so the plastic bag was lying there. And I said, and this? And he points to my dog. No, it's him. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> it really starts when we're young. Psalm 58 verse 3 says, From the womb, from birth, these liars go astray. People are liars from birth. And unfortunately, even Christians fall into the trap. And that's why Paul felt, felt it necessary, the verse I read earlier in Colossians 3 verse 9, do not lie to one another. Or in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each of us speak the truth to one another, for we are one another's members. We are, we are part of the same family, we're part of the same body. If I lie to you, I'm really shooting myself in the foot. So don't lie. And, and people lie in many different ways. Let me give you some examples. One, one, the very first example of a lie that you find in this passage is in verse 1 uh, and in verse 2. So him and his wife, they sold this piece of property, verse 2, with his wife's knowledge. So now they've schemed together to tell a lie, but they haven't even told the lie. They've just schemed. They've just planned to tell the lie. And so this is not, this is not yet a blatant lie. Going and saying, no, we didn't sell it for so much, we sold it for so much. And even when Ananias, the husband, goes in alone, and he says, we sold it for so much, here's all the money. Sapphira, who hasn't said a word, she's lying with him. So if you know that someone is lying, and you just keep quiet, you're a liar too. So when you have a, here's your brother, and he's lying to your dad, and you know this is not true, but you keep quiet, or here's... Uh, your friend at school and lying to the teacher and you just keep quiet or lying to the boss he's a colleague of yours and you hear the colleague he's lying and you just keep quiet you are co-responsible he's meerdeplichter and so you too then are a liar another way of lying is exaggeration and that you also see in our text in verse 2 so they sold the piece of property, verse 2, they bring the proceeds, but only part of it, and lay it at the apostles' feet. This is exaggeration. This is saying this is all the money, but it's not all the money. Yes, it is some money, but it's not everything. So, exaggerating. Why do people exaggerate? I think maybe because you want people to like you. Uh, some, that might be a reason. You want people to like you, you want to look good in front of others. Uh, a man stayed at our house when I was a young boy. I was in primary school, into my primary school career, and so my parents took in this poor man, and he lived in our, uh, we had a flat at the back, or like a back room, and he lived there. Man, this guy could lie through his teeth. Yeah, this guy was a skilled liar. And even a kid of my age, I knew he was lying. The stories he would tell you of when he was in the United States, or he did this, or did that. Uh, another two cases, I, I know these people quite well. Two brothers, those guys. 
Goodness gracious, you want to hear a liar, a compulsive liar, and they lie so badly that everyone knows they're lying and they think you believe them. Terrible lies. The one guy spoke of um, at a game farm, they said they sold this buffalo for 35 million, and I know game can be that expensive, but then he said, I met that, bro I met that buffalo's brother. <laughs> Who wants to meet the buffalo's brother? <laughs> okay, that kind of thing, the... The lies were incredible. Uh, another man that I met, uh, a very poor guy, and he just spoke as if we have to believe him. Yes, uh, his Porsche is in for a service. And so, sorry, can, can he just have a lift? Because he hasn't got his Porsche with him now. And he talks of his millions and his businesses and whatever. The worst lie, I don't think, I don't think the worst in terms of the content, but the worst in terms of how ridiculous it was, was a guy coming to my gate, knocking on the gate, and he just asked, can I give him some money? Now, I don't give money. I'll give food. I'll give clothes. So this guy came, and he wanted money. And I said, where do you worship? What church are you part of? Um, and he said, uh, no, he's a member of this church. He points, standing at that gate, pointing to it. I said, you're lying. I'm the pastor of this church. And he still tries to convince me he's a member of the church. I say, you are lying. I've been the pastor here for many years. And he just tried to convince me. After that, he wouldn't let, let go. Goodness. I remember when I was nine years old telling a lie in the school classroom. The teacher said, we have to now just maybe you stand in front of the class and you have to tell them, what are you, what are you going to do this holiday? And so I'm nine years old. And I say, we're going to visit my friend in Riches Bay, which was true. And we're flying there with a Concorde. Now, for the, the young kids who don't know what a Concorde is, that's a super fast passenger plane. It doesn't exist anymore. They don't build them anymore. What a lie. I feel embarrassed to say that. But another, another reason people exaggerate is you want to place someone in a negative light so you look better. So you are put in the positive light. You find that with married couples. When they fight, you never help me. You are always late. We always have to wait for you when we go somewhere. Really? Has he never been on time? Has she never been on time? Has he never helped you in the house? Not even once. That's exaggeration. That's called lying. Or people exaggerate because they want, uh, they want some benefit. And so they lie, they exaggerate a story. For instance, you find this in 1 Kings chapter 21. So here's King Ahab, a very evil king. And he wants that piece of property. He wants that farm. He wants that vineyard, that wine farm for himself. And so the owner of the wine farm, Naboth, Naboth says, you can't have my farm, your majesty. This is family property. It's been in the family for many generations. And the king goes to his room and he lies on the bed. I don't want food. I'm lying on my bed sulking. And so his wife comes, why are you sulking? Why the long lip? Why the long face? And he says, Naboth doesn't want to give me his farm. I told him I'll buy it. And he says, no, it's family property. She says, don't worry, I'll get it for you. And so she sets up witnesses, false witnesses, to exaggerate. And to say, he cursed God and the king, tell a lie. And so Naboth gets stoned, he gets killed, and the king can have his vineyard. Or you maybe exaggerate on your CV. So on your CV, you write and 
you exaggerate a bit, saying you've got qualifications you don't have, or you've got this degree, you studied at a university. Now, obviously, you have to give proof of that, but you just, you just tweak it a little and, and say it a bit better than it is in hope you'll get a job. You find this with crooked car salesmen. I don't only think in, in car parts, but oh, not car parts, car sales, in other businesses too. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Greg, you work at a car part place. All right, car salesmen. <laughs> so car salesmen, um, you got this guy, they, they turn back the kilos, uh, the odometer, odometer, can you still do that for the new cars? All right, so they've got tricks and ways to do this, or they just lie to you, they don't tell you this car was stolen, they don't tell you this car was in an accident. So it's exaggerating how wonderful this car is, but it's got problems, it's got trouble. Another way of lying is giving a dishonest answer. I remember doing that not, a, not many years ago to one of our church members. So I was at the guy's house, and he asked me, is something bothering you? So it's what blah. So I said, no, no, nothing bothering me. And we kept on chatting. And then my conscience really convicted me and said, you lied to him. There is something bothering you. You were too afraid to say. And so on that Sunday at church, I came and I said, I'm sorry I, I lied to you. Uh, because you asked, is there something bothering me? And there was. And please forgive me. Uh, for lying. You know, we, we do this often and we do it without thinking. Someone says, hi, how are you doing? No, I'm fine, but you're not fine. Things are going really difficult. Things are really hard. And I'm not saying you must tell everyone everything about yourself. You can find a trusted friend you can talk to, but I think a good answer to those people would be when they say, how are you doing? You can say, better than I deserve. Because <laughs> that's always true, even though it's going poorly with you or uh, you're struggling. Another way people lie is through false teaching. And that does not only go for the people spreading the false teaching or the people giving the false teaching. That's a lie. That's a way of lying. But also to the people accepting that teaching, listening to false teaching, and maybe even sharing a link. Uh, so be careful. Both, both those groups are liars. Those who preach the false teaching and those who say, yes, we'll go back for that false teaching, or switch on the TV and watch it. Another way of lying is empty promises. And I think here, many of us, I just had to confess to someone before the service, because I, um, as I was preparing this, I thought, you told that guy you would do that. You didn't. And I had to ask for forgiveness, because there was a lie. And we want to call it all kinds of other names. Just call it what it is. It's a lie. Empty promises. Uh, Proverbs, Spreker, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 14 says that a man who, who promises to give you a gift that he never gives you, that's like uh, the wind that blows the clouds and you think it's going to rain and then it just blows over. <laughs> Empty promises. Where do we find this? Where do you, where do you want to point your finger now? Not to someone here, to the politicians. Before an, an election, hey? And you say, all these promises, we're going to build you houses and we're going to give you cars and I don't know, whatever. All kinds of lies. Maybe that was exaggeration, hey? Cars. They didn't say cars. <laughs> but they make empty promises that they don't keep. When the election is over, you don't see the promises they made. I know we can bring that down to our level. Don't only blame the politicians, because don't we do the same? Yes, yes, I'll help you tomorrow. 
Yes, I'll come and do this tomorrow. I'll do that for you. And then we don't do it. Like I, like, like I just said earlier. That I said I'd do it and I didn't do it. Or we, we make promises, promises to God that we don't keep. Lord, I'll do this. Uh, I promise if you help me, I'll do this. Uh, as I quoted last week in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Prediker, Wistik 5. Or you make a promise to your, your children. Yes, I'll be at your prize giving. Yes, I'll come to this, this, uh, your, your athletics or your rugby or netball. And then you get too busy and you don't show up. I think I told you this story. Yes, I know I told you this story, but there's so many new faces uh, that it'll be worth telling again. When I was 12 years old, in primary school, after a, an athletics meeting, I walked home, and we didn't live very far from the school, and another kid, I walked with him, and I saw he had tears in his eyes, and he didn't want me to see. And I'm, I was 13, and he was 12. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, my dad promised he would come, and he didn't even come. Mm. I think that cuts to the heart of a child. So keep the promises. We should keep the promises we make, even, even if it's not to your benefit, even if it's going to be to your own hurt. Uh, and I, I'll read you a verse on this in Psalm 15. He speaks of a righteous person in verse 2 and verse 4. And this is how he describes the righteous person. He says, he walks blamelessly. He does what is right. He speaks truth in his heart. And then verse 4, uh, the end of the verse, uh, he swears, not swears cursing, swears making a promise. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. I'll give you an example of this. There was a man in this church in 2005. He actually died in January 2005. Wesley Fisser. And that man, Deirdre knew him well. We used to visit him often. And he was very ill with cancer. And that man, he, when he lived in the old age home in Herfsland, went to visit him, and toward the end of his life, we went to visit him. I went to visit him every day. Before he got sick, he made a promise to someone, to another old man, and he said, if you ever need money, uh, then I will, I will loan you the money. I'll lend you the money. But then this when Wesley got very, very ill, terminal cancer, and the medical expenses, you know with cancer, the medical expenses were so high, and he didn't really have much money left. And then that friend was in need. And he said, I remember you said that if I need to loan money, or I need money, you'll, you'll loan it to me. I, I really need it now. And so when Wesley took his savings, and he loaned it to the man. Why? Because he was that righteous man. He kept his promise even to his own hurt. Now question, back in our text, where did Ananias' lie, this man Ananias, where did the lie start, the lying start? Verse 3, what's the answer? You can speak up. In his heart. Satan filled his heart. Satan is the arch liar. Satan is the first liar. Satan is the father of lies, according to John 8 verse 44. You remember in Genesis 3 how he lied to Eve. You will not die. God said you'll die if you disobey him. You won't die. You will be like God. Did God really say? 
So he's twisting God's words. So what does this mean? If Satan is the father of lies and you're a liar, you are a child of? That is harsh. Jesus even says that in John 8 verse 44. You are children of your father, the devil. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. So you like the devil. You're a child of the devil. And I'm not saying that Satan is forcing you to lie. He doesn't force you to lie. What happens is the sin of lying is like uh, hot embers in your heart. It's like these glowing embers, these glowing uh, coals in your heart. And all that Satan does is he does this. He just blows the coals and he tempts you to lie. And this raging fire ignites in your heart. So the lying starts in the heart and Satan just encourages it. That's why we can read in the Bible of a spirit of lying in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 19 to 23. A lying spirit. It's really an evil spirit that encourages people to lie. So what is the solution then? If, if lying starts in the heart and not with the devil, the devil just encourages it in me, but the lying is in the heart, what's the solution then? The solution is not exorcism. It's not casting out the demon of lying. The solution, first and foremost, is I need a new heart. I need to become a new person by the power of the Holy Spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God. God wants truth in the inward parts. From the heart comes, and then Jesus mentions a, a list of sins, and one of that will be deceit or lying in Matthew 15, verse 19. So I need to be changed. From the inside. So plead with God. If you're a liar, plead with God and say, Lord, change me. Lord, make me a new person. Give me a new heart. And then you confess your lying. Don't hide it. Confess your lying and make restitution where you have caused trouble or where there have been consequences because of your lying, where you've caused damage, where you've caused harm. Restitution means. Like if you stole something, you don't just say, please forgive me, I stole from you. You give back the stolen goods. Uh, restitution when it comes to lying, maybe you've caused someone to lose his job because you've lied. Maybe you've, um, you've damaged someone's reputation through lying. A friend of mine recently told me of something that happened to him. Uh, one of his church members told a lie about him. And this church member, a number of years back, spread the lies in the congregation because she wanted to get rid of him as the pastor. And many years after she left the church, she called him and said, please forgive me, I lied about you. That's what it means to make restitution. And then to go to the other people you lied to and say, and say to them, I lied about the pastor, please forgive me, or about whoever. And very important, if we want to get rid of lies in the mouth, where does it start? Gerda told us, in the heart. So if the heart needs to change, yes, that's good. You need to be born again, spiritual birth, but you need to fill your mind. You need to fill your soul with truth, with God's word. God's word is truth. And if it's in your heart, out of the heart comes our words. Out of the abundance of the heart, our words flow. And what we speak. And then you pray to the Lord. Lord, deliver me from lying lips. Psalm 121 verse 2. Lord, please place a guard in front of my mouth. Put soldiers in front of my mouth. 
God gave you, someone, uh, Thomas Watson said, God gave you two fences in front of your, your tongue. Lips and teeth. <laughs> Alright, and obviously we need a new heart. So ask the Lord, put a God in front of my mouth. Psalm 141 verse 3. Because lying is a serious sin. Lying is very serious to God. Here you find Ananias lying in verse 3. Peter says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, you have lied not to men but to God. So if you lie to the Holy Spirit, you are lying to God because the Holy Spirit is God. That's the connection between the two verses. Now listen, the, the problem here was not that he didn't give all the money. Peter says to him in verse 4, Peter says, it's your property. No one told you to sell it. And even after you sold the piece of land, no one told you, God didn't tell you, you must give the money to the church. You decided to do that. And you didn't even have to give all the money. The, the point is, the problem is you lied. You lied about this issue. How often do people not lie like that? They lie about money, just like Ananias and Sapphira did. They lie about money. They lie to the church. In verse 3, we see that. You lie to your husband about the money. Or you lie to your wife about the money. You lie to your parents. You lie to clients about money. You lie to your boss at work. Uh, lying to clients. Man, I've seen this over and over and over. And many of you have seen that. How people cheat you in business. You go and buy something. They overcharge you. Big time. And then you say, but why this? I remember having a case like that. I told this in a previous sermon. Where I said, well, I was here just now and I forgot my bank card at home. I had to go home. I came back. And he charged me a different price. And I said, why now? Why the difference? Oh. And he fixed something on the computer. I said, why was the price different? He said, depends whom he's selling what to whom. Hmm. So lying in business, God says he hates that. Proverbs 11 verse 1. Spreaker Elfash. Yeah. Maybe lying on your tax forms. You're lying to SARS. You know, we get so angry when Jacob Zuma, the previous president, all these lies and the stealing and, and people do the same just on a small scale. The very people who are angry at Zuma. I'm not saying what Zuma did was right, but I'm saying don't criticize him and you do the same. Lying in court. Oh, I've heard the correct name is not procureur, but procureur. How quickly and how often the lies. Just give me enough money. Just give me a big enough bribe. I'll lie for you in court. So why is it so serious? Why is it so serious to lie to God? Why is lying such a serious sin to the Lord? I think we can give a number of reasons. But one reason is, and maybe the greatest reason, is because God is truth. And God cannot lie. Titus 1 verse 2, Hebrews 6 verse 18, Numbers 23 verse 19. Jesus said of himself, I am the truth. It is said in 1 John 5 verse 6, the Holy Spirit is truth. So if God is truth, and here's Jack, and Jack is a human being, and Jack is created in the image of God, and Jack tells lies, what is that image bearer? telling and saying indirectly about his creator. God is a liar. And that's why God hates lying so much. Proverbs 6, verse 16 and 17, it says God, and verse 19, God hates lying. Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 22, 
if people lie, lying is an abomination to God. It's afskivelik. He despises it. He detests lying. So you cannot think, you can never think that you will lie behind closed doors in, your, in the safety of your house like this husband and wife did and you are going to get away with it. You will not get away with it. God will see to it that it comes out that you will not get away. Proverbs chapter 12 in verse 19. Proverbs has actually got a, many verses that speak against lying. But here's one, Proverbs 12, verse 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Somewhere you're going to contradict yourself because you've told so many lies now. Now you have to lie to cover a lie, to cover a lie. And somewhere you say something and people say, that's not what you said earlier. And you get caught. So what happened here when Ananias, when, when the lie came to the fore, when his lying was now exposed... What happened to him? He died. God killed him on the spot. In verse 5. And was that the end? Let me read you a verse. Two verses. Revelation. Wippenbaren. 21 verse 8. As for the cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Revelation 22, verse 15. Outside, that's outside the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city. Outside are the dogs. Now, dogs doesn't mean ridgebacks and labradors. It means false teachers. You find this in Philippians 3, the first three verses. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. What happened after Ananias died? Verse 5, what does your Bible say? People feared. Everyone who heard, they were very afraid when they heard this guy just died. That's one of the benefits of church discipline. That's one of the purposes of church discipline. It's supposed to make us afraid. It is supposed to make us fear and say, I don't want to go on the wrong way. I don't want to... Continue on the path of sin. I want to repent. I want to turn around and do what is right and turn back to the Lord. And I think this fear was especially great for these young men. In verse 6, did you see what the, these young men, they wrapped him up, they carried him out, and they buried him. Saw this dead body. You can imagine what that did to them. God just killed this guy for lying. Wow. What would have happened if God just ignored it? If God just left it and... Just do nothing about it. Then everyone in the church would have thought, oh, okay, it's probably fine to lie. God doesn't care about it. He turns a blind eye and all of us can do this and we'll get away with it. And then what will happen is this, this sin of lying, it'll spread. It'll spread like leaven. It'll spread like yeast in dough, in bread. And it'll cause trouble in the church. You see, lying is contagious. Liches uh, on it's like catching a cold. You lie and you do it enough, what your, what's your kid going to do? He sees you lying all the time, get away, he's going to do the same. You find this example in the book of Genesis. So Abraham, Abraham lies twice. Genesis 12, Genesis 20 about his wife. And then, next thing you see, his wife lies. In Genesis 18, where the Lord said, why did you laugh? I made a prophecy, I made a promise that you'll have a son. Why did, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. 
And then the next thing you see is Abraham's child lies. Isaac, his son, the same as his dad, lies about his wife in Genesis 26. And then the next thing you find is Isaac's son. Man, he's got a liar of a son. His name is Jacob. Jacob means uh, the one who grabs you by the heel, the one who is just a liar, he's a deceiver. And so Jacob lies. And then the next thing, you, Jacob's wife lies. Rachel, when she stole something from her dad, and her dad says, where's it? And she tells a lie to her dad, she says, so she won't be caught. And then, then their children lie. You find the sons of Jacob telling lies. They sell their brother as a slave. This is human trafficking. And they say, oh, dad, maybe a wild animal caught him. So it's necessary. It's necessary that lies be punished so that Christians will fear and say, we must not do this. We must not dishonor God and disobey God. We must repent and turn away from lying. We must fear God. Now, fear God doesn't mean running away from Him. It means having deep respect and reverence and awe for God. To say, I honor this God who is truth. Do you want people lying to you? Of course not. So God does not want us to lie. He wants us to fear so we will turn away from sin. All right, second character, that was Ananias, number one, and much shorter. Second is Sapphira, and that is in verse 7 to 11. I know a lady whose son died. And she called him and phoned him. She was living in one town, her son in another, and she couldn't get a hold of him for three weeks. She didn't know he had been dead for three weeks. This is what Sapphira is like. She doesn't know her husband is dead. Yes, he, she waltzes up. She comes to Peter. This is three hours after her husband is dead. Verse uh, 8 or 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife, uh, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Now, why in the world? Why is she coming to Peter? I think she's coming to Peter for the very reason they falsified this whole thing. They, they schemed. The reason was they want to make a name for themselves. So now she's here to kind of say, all right, the deal's done. My husband has brought the money. So, hi, Peter. And uh, she thinks Peter's going to say, you are so generous. We're so thankful for you. Thank you for everything you do for the Lord and for his people. Uh, we, we actually want to, won't everyone stand? Let's just give them a round of applause. And that doesn't happen. Peter says to her in verse 8, Tell me, did you sell the piece of land for so much? Now, what is Peter doing? Peter is actually, God is giving her an opportunity to repent. Just own up and acknowledge you have lied. And she doesn't do that. She does not repent. She does not say, we've sinned. And we want to ask the Lord's forgiveness and your forgiveness. She doesn't do that. What she does is, she continues lying. She says in verse 8, yes, yes, we sold the land for so much. Of course, we sold the land for so much. Why did she lie? Maybe because she was afraid? Isn't that why many people lie? It's out of fear. You're afraid. You want to get out of trouble, so you lie to your dad. You lie to your mom. You lie to your spouse. You lie to the boss. You lie to a client. You lie to the judge in court, the magistrate. You lie, for the, lie to the teacher at school. And then when someone catches you and they find out it's a lie, what normally children, but I don't think only children, what do children say? It was just a joke. It was just joking. Now that's Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 20, 26, verse 18 and 19. It says people do that and then they say, I'm only joking. Come on, get over it. Wouldn't it 
have been better to acknowledge the lie and to confess I lied. Please forgive me. And repent of that. And unfortunately, people don't do that. People think the way Sapphira thinks. We'll get away with this. This is a breeze. No one will find out. We won't be exposed. There won't be consequences. You see what Sapphira did? Is Sapphira thought that she's, that she's deceiving the Holy Spirit. Because he says to her in verse 9, How is it? How is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Did you really think you can test God? You really think you can lie to the Holy Spirit and you'll get away with it? He doesn't know about this or he doesn't care about this? So who did she deceive? She didn't deceive God. She didn't deceive Peter. Who did she deceive? She deceived herself, thinking, we'll get away with this. And the same as her husband, she drops dead on the spot. Verse 9 and 10, the same people who buried her husband now buries her next to her husband. I think, now I don't have anything in this verse to say this, but I think, man, when those Christians saw those graves, even weeks after and months later, you know what those graves mean. Those are monuments to tell you how much God hates lying. I don't want to be like that. You want to be like that? Who wants to be like that? When you are buried, people say, man, that guy was a big liar. That lady, yes, that lady could lie. You don't want people to say that of you and to think that. And above all, you don't want God to say that. Oh, those people lying there? Two liars, Ananias and Sapphira. I think we should be very thankful, all of us, all of us, pastor included. We should be very thankful that God doesn't kill us every time we sin. I mean, if God wanted to, He can kill us on the spot, not only for lying. If God had to do that, we would all be dead because we sin every day. I think we should be very thankful for this table tonight. This table with red juice and broken bread reminds us of someone who never lied. 1 Peter 2 verse 22, Jesus never lied. There was no lie in his mouth. He committed no sin. Why did he die? Because we lie and we sin. Oh, by the mercy of God and the love of God that Jesus died for us. Now, I must ask you this question. Have you ever asked Jesus, please, set me free from my sins. Set me free from lying and from every other sin and my sinful nature and my sinful heart. Don't be like Sapphira. Sapphira had the opportunity to repent. Peter said to her, did you sell the land for so much? She could repent at that moment and say, no, we didn't, we lied. But she didn't. Don't miss the opportunity. And you know it led to her death and it led to people fearing. Verse 11 ends, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. That's upon Christians and non-Christians. Even the unbelievers said, I don't want to join that church. Everyone knew when that happened, God does not sweep sin under the rug. God punishes all sin. Either on the cross, where Jesus died, in the place of sinners, 
And if you repent, you receive the benefits. If you trust in Christ and say, I am a liar, I am a thief, I am a sinner, whatever. I am broken inside. And you trust in Christ. Jesus bore the punishment for sinners. You will be forgiven. You will be set free. Or, if you continue in your sin and you will not repent and turn to Christ, you will bear the punishment for your own sin. Now maybe you're offended, especially if I tell you, you will bear the punishment in hell. Maybe you're offended at that. If I don't tell you that tonight, then I'm flattering you. And flattering is lying with a smile. I know, I know that liars will go to hell. And I just withhold the information from you. I'm not going to tell you that. Then I become a liar. So I must tell you that. I hope you see, in closing here, I hope you see I'm truly seeking to speak the truth in love. To help you. Just like my mom when I was 10 years old. I had an operation and they had to transplant skin so they, they grazed uh, my thigh. They cut skin out there to transplant it. And, uh, and so I've got this raw wound. I'm 10 years old. And my mom thinks it's mercurochrom, but, it, but it's methylate. And she drips that methylate onto that raw wound. And I lift the roof. Screaming. It really hurt. But my mom knew, even after that, when she knew this was going to burn. She hurt me, but she knew it would heal me. And maybe I hurt you, and, may, and the Lord hurt me through this sermon, because I had to confess something. Maybe it hurts you, but it's to help you, so you will be healed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and pray, first of all, that you would forgive us for our sins. In one way or another, all of us, sometime, someplace, we have lied. Oh Lord, forgive us for our sins. And we pray that you would deliver us from the evil one. Protect us from our enemy, the devil. Protect our hearts. Thank you for giving many of us, most of us, new hearts. And for any here who do not have new hearts, but they are liars, O oh Lord, deliver them and save them from this destructive sin of lying, not only destroying others, but most of all, destroying themselves. So please deliver and save, because you are the unlying God, the non-lying God, the God of truth. And Jesus, you are the Lord of truth who never lied, who died in our place, for our lying and our sinning, so that we can be set free. We praise you now and forevermore. Amen.